Hey guys, Eric Nevins here. We're going to get the show started in just a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you to do one thing. Go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and sign up for the Halfway There mailing list. You just put in your first name, put in your email, click submit. It's five seconds or less. Very easy to do. But then every Monday when a new episode comes out, I will send you an email about the new episode and that way you'll be sure to know that it's coming out. Also, I have a bunch of interesting things planned for 2018 and I want you to be able to get those. This is the only way you can do that. So go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, put in your email, click submit, and I'll see you over there. Okay, on with the show. This is a good one. Welcome to Halfway There. I'm Eric Nevins, and this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm excited to share with you this story today. I have one of my friends from way back. His name is Mike Elder, and he's going to share his story with us today. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Hi, Eric. I'm doing fine. (laughs) Great. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I'm excited to just get to know you a little bit better. We worked together way back in the day, and we both ended up out here in beautiful Colorado because, let's just be honest, the weather's better here than in Illinois. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit, I'd like to start off with a little bit about kind of who you are and what you're doing now, and then we'll go back and see what God's done in your life. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm here in the greater Denver area, uh, like yourself and, um, married with, with four kids, three of which are still in my home. And, uh, I came out from a small town, um, originally, uh, about a hundred miles west of Chicago. And, um, that's where I sort of had my, my foundational faith experiences with my, with my family, my parents, uh, believers, um, and an evangelical Christian church in our small town that thankfully, um, was really blessed that, uh, in a small town, we actually had a pretty large church, one of the largest in the area. And so we had good pastors. We had, um, a lot of, um, my, again, foundational experiences with really good people in the church, uh, some that I'm still friends with now. And, um, that sort of propelled me to, through you, you know, through um, an Awana program and uh, or Bible memorization, and then into junior and senior high youth group, and the experiences I had there, and then ultimately to a, a Christian college where I got a degree in Christian education, and mm. I'm now uh, working in the uh, the telecom. Uh, field and really not using that at all. <laughs> yeah, but um, we were joking uh, the about main, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the main uh, benefit really from my degree, outside of some of the some really neat things I learned about God's Word and about um, um, Christian ministry, was really the people I met on campus and you know, yourself certainly included in that. So. Yeah, you grew up then. You said in a Christian family, basically. Yeah. Uh, do you remember how do you like how faith became personal for you? Yeah. So I accepted Christ. I guess the the you know the standard um, accept Christ. You know, uh, pray the prayer and come forward um, at a, a VBS. We called it Backyard Bible Club way back then when I was I think only four years old. So that's kind of the start of, at least in my mind, the kind of person I needed to be. And I don't know that I, uh, certainly not for understood the full ramifications of that, but I, I kind of approached life from that point on as though I'm a Christian and, and I believe in Jesus. And then certainly you, 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 uh, encounter hurdles. Uh, I, I did, um, um, I was, uh, I had, as I said, a really good church experience and, and people, but that didn't necessarily prevent me from 
doing my own thing that was not always honoring God, but more often honoring myself. And um, that was largely my own immaturity and, and to some extent not recognizing um, not so much the difference between right and wrong, but um, the difference between glorifying God and glorifying self. And I, I think I spent a lot of time glorifying myself. Um, getting in trouble um, I, in, uh, in, in 89, back in 1989, we, we, uh, we had every, every couple of years we would do a, a youth conference where we travel uh, with our youth group and meet, meet up with other churches, um, regional or even on a national level. And uh, in 1989, we were in Bloomington, uh, Indiana, and I brought um, fireworks along for our, our after trip after the conference was over. Um, we were going to go to the sand dunes and I thought it'd be cool to have fireworks. It was over the 4th of July and fireworks were explicitly forbidden on the trip. But I thought in my own mind, I had a little loophole cause I wasn't going to use them at the conference. And therefore what's the big deal? Um, however, the first night, um, some upperclassmen came in, saw the fireworks and they were all lit off on the balcony of my of my dorm room on the campus and it was I was on the second floor right over a major walkway so it was they they lit off the fireworks from there yes yes right there on my windowsill oh no and um yeah it was pretty easy to to figure out who was the culprit there so (laughs) my my youth pastor happened to be the head of security uh that that summer and he felt like he had to um, make an example. Um, not that he couldn't understand high drinks, uh, you know, being a youth group kid himself, you know, in the past, but, uh, my parents came up and got me and my buddy uh, the next day and we were on our way home early. So that was sort of, uh, the reprimand was, was hard. And I, and I had punishments at home and I ended up painting our double our two story garage and missing out on another trip. Um, but, the neat thing about that was going out with my youth pastor several weeks later for lunch and um, him wanting me to know that he still cared about me and that he still had to acknowledge the standard of behavior that I did not acknowledge (laughs) or acknowledged and ignored, you know? So that really left an impression on me. Um, And uh, he's been, he's been a good friend and and a good example the Lord, uh, really my whole life since junior high. So, yeah. What did that teach you? What did it teach me? Um, well, it taught me that we could, um, I could be disciplined and not rejected, you know, that I Mm. could be instructed even harshly. Um, but with compassion and, you know, like I said, he was a, he was a guy in youth group and in a, actually not too far from where I grew up. And he probably did a lot of the same stuff. So he, he understood. And yet there's still standards that we have to uphold, you know, certain behavior that's expected of us. And I knew it. It wasn't like I was in the dark or ignorant. It was, I had no excuse. I just wanted to do my own thing. So it really taught me that I could, um, be, uh, subjected to to punishment and it still be not ultimately excluded. I mean, I I was excluded from the rest of the week, but I was certainly not um, labeled in the youth group where he didn't want anything to do with me or he wasn't to invest his time in me. It was quite the opposite. We had, we had many good times after that. Yeah. So did that then have an effect on how you saw God or how you like how, how your faith sort of became more personal? Well, undoubtedly it did. I mean, I don't know that I recognized yeah. it then. Yeah, even right? if, even, sorry, even if it's not that event, like how do you remember a time or do you have a time when your face started to become more personal? If not, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm trying to think there's probably a, a few different times. Um, when I was still a kid, um, you know, uh, kind of a terrible and neat thing happened at the same time. Uh, you know, that's 
kind of how God uses those mm-hmm. terrible things, right? They they either remain terrible or they become neat um, as you look back and see how God used them to, to improve your character or to really, you know, bless you. And in, in 1983, going back even six more years, <laughs> I feel like we're taking a time machine here yeah. to the, uh, the ancient days. But in 1983, uh, our house caught on fire in the middle of the night. And uh, my dad happened to hear the, the fire alarm uh, clanging away all the way down in the basement. Uh, just the vibration woke him up. And we all, we all evacuated. We were all okay. Um, but the house was probably five to ten minutes from being completely consumed. And it was not a big trauma to me. Obviously, losing things and, and seeing your home almost gone is probably more traumatic for my parents than me. But they really walked through that in faith, um, trusting the guy was going to take care of them. And I remember that to this day, how they were not shaken. You know, they, they were sad and then, you know, maybe even scared. You know, but once we were out of the home, the main danger was gone, and they were they were steadfast, you know, and, and really trusting God. And so that really um, left an impression upon me, even though I was only in, what, fourth grade, that God was trustworthy, you know. And that's been, in my life, that's probably been one of the main, the main things that I've embraced. Um, in my personal walk with the Lord is that he can be trusted. Mm. Um, and I, I think specifically of instances where I, um, from our, you know, our days at Hewitt together, um, and then how that transition to, you know, the buyout and, and jobs changed and I needed new, new opportunities to work. And, uh, the Lord opened doors sometimes in the last, you know, the 11th hour when I was, literally on my knees just praying for something and the call came you know and his trustworthy his his faithfulness and his uh fact that he can be trusted was something that i really think goes back to remembering how my parents handled almost losing their house wow yeah that's really valuable to have an example like that from your family that uh you can point to and go this is this is what we do, right? We trust God. And, you know, there was a time when it was really hard, but we trusted him anyway, and he turned out to be faithful. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, this reminds me, um, as we're remodeling our basement right now, one of the things we have in mind is is on our um, one of our freshly painted and textured walls, we want to put up some kind of a, uh, not like a memorial, but something that is specific um, instances in time where the Lord has really come through for us. And mm. um, you know, thinking about, you know, the altar that Noah built after they got off the ark mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just that no one else, no one else saw this coming, but Noah believed. And as a result, God literally saved him and his family, you know, and, well as all the animals, but Noah believed and he acted in faith and God rewarded him with, um, you know, literal life-saving protection. And yeah. So I'd, I'd like to have a couple little altars like that on my wall, maybe not out of stone, you know, but something, <laughs> something that we can look at and point, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. You know, I needed work and God came through, you know? Yeah. What a cool idea. I know that, um, like, because you see it all over Scripture that Noah's one. I think uh, when the Israelites, after they cross over the Jordan, to yeah. to go in and they put up that, they grab the stones and they they build an altar there. I love that idea. We actually have kind of done something similar. Uh, we just remodeled a big chunks of our house this summer, and one thing we want to do is in the hallway, we're we're gonna do like a dry erase board, and that's gonna be. Uh, on one wall and it's going to be our prayer wall. So it'll be our list where we could write down things, you know, that we're praying for and, and uh, just kind of keep track of stuff kind of for the same reasons, you know, just, just to keep it in front of us and remind ourselves that, Hey, we're, we're trusting God for these things. So I I love that. Well, tell me about how do you, um, how would you say, what are some of the um, major 
experiences that you've had where you've where you've learned? I know we talked about some of them, but where you've learned something about God. A lot of it was osmosis, right? It was not. It was. I would not qualified as discipline pursuit of the Lord. It was, mm. um, you know, Sunday school and like I mentioned earlier, Awana and then youth group and youth group trips and um, and youth group messages and the sermon on Sunday, sometimes again on Sunday night. Um, so I, I heard there was plenty of exposure um, and I'm sure I internalized, you know, you hear the stories and you know all the the Bible stories, but I was not home reading the Bible for myself with any kind of regularity. And I'm sure I was challenged to do that and, and maybe even um, would put, you know, exert some effort for a time, but not stay with it. So reading the Bible cover to cover, you know, all that, that was definitely not my experience. There was familiarity, but it was largely due to the efforts of others rather than my own you know, personal investment. What led you to Trinity? The youth leader I mentioned earlier had gone to Trinity, and he made such an impression upon me that I thought I wanted to go into youth ministry as well. Mm-hmm. What better place to go? You know, Trinity was only 100 miles away, approximately, and and I'd been there for some youth group events um, in the in the spring. You know, after classes had let out with my youth group, so I was familiar with it a little bit and ended up uh, that another guy from my youth group was going to be there. So after some community college in my hometown, I thought that's where the Lord was calling me. And looking back, I don't really know that that was true, but I proceeded as though it were. (laughs) So I, um, I went ahead and, and I got my, my bachelor's in Christian education and minored in Bible, met a lot of great people and had some, some neat experiences with some youth groups in the area. Um, spent some time at Willow Creek and then uh, some other churches. And really by the time I was done, I sort of was, that was all in question for me, like where I was going to go next, because although I had, like I said, some good experiences, ultimately working with youth, uh, high school students just seemed like an overwhelming challenge um, yeah. that although I, I would say there was probably a couple different kids uh, through the, the experiences I had, the sort of the um, internship experience and stuff that I've, I felt like I had an impact on by and large. It seemed like it was, um, I would say a waste of time, but it, it did not seem very productive. Why don't you uh, just kind of bridge that gap for us between your, you know, childhood and teenage years and your adult life? Yeah, there's obviously significance for that in that time for all of us. And I, I had some, some great moments I talked about at Trinity, but then I also had a not so great moment at Trinity that, that really threatened to completely derail me, um, both my faith and my, um, you know, when you, when you have, uh, difficult times that almost kind of pull the shroud over your eyes where you, you just can't see how you can get past it. Um, now I was at Trinity. Trinity really had nothing to do with Trinity itself had nothing to do with, you sure. know, what I was going through, but I was at Trinity, um, in undergrad when I found out that um, this on and off again relationship uh, with a girl from home had resulted in um, her being pregnant and we were going to be parents. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that just um, almost literally um, knocks you, you know, off your feet <laughs> yeah. into a collapse. Um, so it was pretty rough uh, when I first heard that that might be the case. And then when it was confirmed a few weeks later, it was a shock because, you know, you're at a Christian school, there's expectations that you're living, um, uh, at least pursuing uh, pure living and you're um, trying to honor God with your decisions, even in your relationships. And um, at least in, in this particular case, I wasn't doing that and rationalizing things and um, sort of trying, like I said, on and off again, trying to get out, but not really making the decisions to just stay out and move on. And, and 
then there's this uh, eternal being that comes into your life that you know is always going to have ties to you. Yeah. So you said that sort of threatened your faith. How was how did that happen? And take us through how that, um, you know, how God spoke to you or used that experience. Yeah. So it, it didn't threaten my faith in the sense that I was going to stop believing in God or I was even angry sure. at God particularly, but um, I, I didn't see how, how there would, what, what's a redemptive path that can get us, can get me, you know, out past it's not out of it. I'm not going to, there is no out of it. Right. So um, <clears throat> I guess people in that situation, we certainly talk about abortion or maybe consider it. It wasn't something we considered. It just wasn't the, the mentality we grew up with. And I'm grateful for that. It, it just wasn't something that was on the table for us, but um, just didn't really want to try to escape, you know, as much as it would have been nice to escape all the consequences, I knew that wasn't going to happen. And so how do we own up to this with our friends and our family? And how do I pursue youth ministry when I'm, you know, unmarried and I'm about to have a child and, uh, you know, people at school at, at Trinity have one impression of me and then everyone at home is going to realize the real me is not so great. And, um, so those, those are some of the difficulties and I sort of had to face those one at a time is, you know, we, we went to our families and we announced it and we took sort of the deserved, um, berating that, <laughs> that we had coming, you know, as you might expect in a, in a small, um, conservative town when you're all part of the same church and then you come to your parents with that. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, like, you know, the last 15, 20 years, that's been one thing that has been, <laughs> um, you know, made, made a priority to not, uh, not ignore that. We don't, we don't let this happen. We don't do this. You know, we, we uh, make better decisions than that. And, and sadly, in my case, we didn't. And, so that was tough, and uh, there was some difficulties with our parents. Uh, my parents and I had uh, um, not where I was completely, you know, ostracized, but there was some cooling off. Um, it was strain on the relationship, and and then um, what started, I guess, in the in the months and in the couple of years around that time frame to pull me out of it was. Um, a, a decision I made at, at counsel from an, an old pastor, uh, youth pastor I mentioned earlier, um, from my home church. So he was he had uh, he was out on the west coast at that time, but uh, we talked, and he really encouraged me to give my daughter up for adoption. And up till then, I really hadn't considered that, um, but really felt like his counsel was the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, telling me to to let go. Um, not that I'm going to necessarily, you know, at, at that point, as far as my reputation, the damage is already done. So it's not like I'm escaping anything at that point other than certain responsibilities. But when she's two years old, I, I didn't want to get away from that. I enjoyed it. So it was a real tough, you know, kind of back and forth moment for me to say, okay, I'm going to go through with that. And, um, and I guess the neat things that have resulted from that, um, obviously we decided not to get married. And um, so the, the man she married, he adopted my, my daughter and and uh, we still have a relationship with her. Uh, my, my parents and my brothers and I uh, have a relationship with her and her family, my ex, and even the grandparents that are still back in my hometown. Um, the Lord is sort of mended all of that and there's no hostility there's no bitterness um when we're all in town which doesn't happen very often anymore but it did more so when we were when the kids were younger it was we were all just one family and doing stuff together and it was pretty neat so um there was a way out but it took um patience and it was financially very difficult for a few years um, as far as insurance and income, when I was hoping to be a college student, not supporting, you know, a yeah. child or 
paying child support, you know, that those things become necessary. So the Lord really made a way, made a way for her to have a family and um, have have a full-time dad and have his last name and have brothers and sisters and a, a pretty normal life as far as all that goes and um, made a way for me because um, when I got married, I, I took on a, a four-year-old of my own that uh, mm. I don't know I would have been willing to do that. Um, had I not already had a child and gone through that process. So in the, in the, the end result was that two, two little girls from imperfect situations both ended up with a full-time dad. So, Yeah, that's really cool. It sounds like you experienced really the love and the kind of direction of God through that in the end. Would you say that? Yeah, um, I would say that um, definitely reflecting on how um, how I become a, how we become adopted children mm. of of God through Jesus and and the redemptive process uh, the redemptive power of of that adoption and seeing that in my daughter's life and how that sort of got her a life back you know not that she wouldn't have had a life and not that it couldn't have been okay but it was really much better in in our scenario for her to be part of a legitimate established family rather than being split time between two parents. And not to say that isn't ever the best decision, but in my case, there was a better decision and um, really felt like the Holy Spirit put the burden on my heart to do it. And as a result, all kinds of peace came, you know, peace for her and her family, peace for my family um, and peace between me and my ex, where there was just in the last 20 years, there had just really hasn't been, there's been nothing but goodwill between us, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. If you had to list, uh, or just put in one sentence, what you learned about God through that experience, what would you say? That even in the darkest times when when it's difficulty or even consequences coming into your life, it can actually be his mercy saving you from well, something worse and at the same time directing you to something so much better. So we tend to uh, attribute difficulty with punishment, and obviously there are, there are consequences to bad decisions, but it was really it was really his mercy because it, he didn't leave me there. You know, he continued both in forgiving me and then restoring me I, to a family of my own and, and mm. her to a family of her own, you know? Yeah. And um, so mercy and forgiveness really would be the, the two qualities that I would take away from that. Yeah. I love that because it's, it's a situation where it can easily feel like the end of the world or the end of, a, a lot, right? But um, yeah. God is sort of an expert in figuring out how to make those things um, joyous in the end. Yeah, yeah, joyous. You know, all things that work together for the good, you know, it, it's hard to, sometimes we say that and it sounds kind of trite, but yeah. in this specific instance, man, I, I felt that very, very vividly, you know, very powerfully in my life. That, all things, even the like you said, even in the dark times. Yeah, God is an expert at using those to work out. Well, I love for, for good. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the things I love most about Him. That uh, in, in times when we feel like, you know, and you you mentioned your reputation, or we feel like we are kind of ruined, whatever. Um, God makes a way out of it, or He makes something out of it, um, even if we trust Him. You know. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes even when we don't, interestingly. But uh, anyway, well, that's thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate that story. Yeah, that was a that was a big one. Um, like you said, bridging you know, my adolescent years into adulthood uh, in the, my mid twenties, it was a pretty powerful moment, one of the defining moments of my life. Um, so it was a little bit of a disillusionment after my four year degree was done because I was I was kind of lost. I I thought I had a plan. And as it turned out, um, 
I sort of rejected that plan. Yeah. And wait, wait, you said you rejected that plan? Yeah, I rejected that plan. That it, it just seemed like my experience, mm-hmm. uh, well, rejected it for me. You know, like the sort of the writing on the wall. Um, it just didn't seem to fit. Um, like there was some giftedness, it seemed like, but it really didn't. It really ultimately didn't seem to fit for mm-hmm. me in in youth ministry. So, um, that's so I was disappointing and um, kind of surprised, I guess. Um, and but it felt fairly certain, like confirmation in my heart that this is not this is not it. You know, like there's ministry and and being a believer and sharing Christ with others. You know, there will be opportunities for that, but doing it as a youth pastor is not going to be mm-hmm. not going to be your calling. Yeah, well, Mike, I'm hearing you say this kind of theme of like when you we talked talked about going to Trinity. You said, uh, you know, I thought God was leading me there, but you know, maybe that was just me. And then afterwards, you know, you said, well, then I realized that wasn't gonna like wasn't gonna work. I'm just really curious. Uh, I mean, I guess you expressed a little bit about how that made you feel. You know, it's disappointing. Um, what, like, what do you, did you get some kind of affirmation about that this is where you're supposed to go from your church beforehand? Yeah. So I, I hear you kind of opening that can of worms about calling and, yeah. um, if you, if you, you are okay, that. go there. What's that? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I have a definitive, uh, answer that, you know, that you can kind of plug and play for any situation, but, um, I think in my life, and maybe this is true for for a lot of uh, folks in general, but believers specifically, that um, when we're not, uh, as I said, I wasn't diligently in the Word, and not that that is cure-all necessarily, but it certainly uh, can guard you against a lot of things, and deception being one of them. Um, I think that our selfishness really, in, in, well, in my life, selfishness really was a, a factor there that I was kind of doing my own thing, but attributing spiritual motives to it or, or a spiritual mandate for it. And um, like I said, there's a lot of great experiences at Trinity, and but primarily it was the people I met, not the instruction that I received to go forward, you know, as a, as a commission, I guess, yeah. go forward as a commission at the pastor. And so I look back on that as sort of uncertainty and I, uh, uncertainty about, okay, so I'm spending time in this community college. Where am I going to go next? And it just seemed like the thing to do other than at the time, it probably, I would have defended it like, Oh no, the Lord is calling me. And then this is where I'm going to go. And I'm going to be a, you know, a youth minister to work with high school students or, you know, junior, junior higher high school students. Mm -hmm. And looking back now, I think I would have been defending that. It would have, I, I feel pretty foolish yeah. <laughs> because I was not nearly as confident as maybe my defense would have been. Um, but I, I think there's that tendency to just to just kind of do what you want, well, and then yeah. Well, I want to ask spiritual. you, like, what what did you want? Like, what was it that you wanted out of that? Well, that's a good question, Eric. Um, I think I wanted to, I wanted a clarification that I, or, or confidence that I had that this clear vocation that I could just go forward and be successful. Mm-hmm. And I sort of made up my mind what it was going to be. And I wouldn't say that I didn't consult God, but I, I certainly didn't, I certainly didn't put it in his hands, um, so to speak. I know it sounds kind of, um, cliche, but I, I didn't really offer it up and sacrifice for, uh, in prayer and study and, and maybe even in going to some people that had known me, uh, that, that youth pastor was gone at that point from our church. He moved on to a, another ministry, but I, you know, whether it was reaching out to him or others to say, I'm confident in this, or at least um, I'm running this over in my mind. What do you think? You know, do 
you think I could be successful? Do you think that the Lord has gifted me in this way? Um, And what challenges do you see for me to overcome to really thrive in that environment? I think those would have been good questions that I didn't really ask. Yeah. Would you say you had good mentors in the church or or not? Yeah, I would. I'd say I did, but I, I, I think my tendency was to not really talk so much about my fears and mm. limitations or, or weaknesses, um, but to just kind of um, come forward as though I had a plan that was, you know, bulletproof, so to speak, when in actuality, I, I probably should have offered it up and said, you know, now poke holes in it and, and show me where I'm wrong. And I don't think I had the, the maturity to, to, to do that. And, and it's scary, you know, it's scary to, to be vulnerable in that way and, and risk, what if, what if this is wrong? You know, what if this is not what God's calling me to, this is just my own, you know, deludedness and, and, you know, my confidence is just in the flesh and not in Christ. So, yeah, yeah no. So I, Mike, I relate to you so much because I had a similar experience after I got into seminary and I even started at Ted's. And then uh, dropped out for three years and two kids. And uh, eventually when I came out here to Denver. That's why I came out here to Denver to finish it at Denver Seminary. Yeah. Um, and I was looking for something a little different than what really Trinity offered. Because um, there tends to be a more academic school. And I was looking for something more spiritual formation. Thus, you know, kind of what we're doing here. But I had the, I, I just know I always had it the sense, like I wanted to be a pastor I wanted to shepherd, but the models that I had of being a pastor were only, they were pretty uh, monochromatic. You know, there were just, there was only one way to do it, and that you know. So I'm curious for you, you know, now because now you're you know you I don't know if you serve in your church at all or um, now what, but you certainly have the training and the mind for. Um, you know, for being engaged and, and leading in your church. Do you, have you thought about, like, are there other ways that maybe like the traditional ministry model doesn't necessarily suit how God's made you, but maybe there were other ways that, that God was leading you toward? Well, um, yeah, I've thought about that. And um, after my four year degree and my, decision to not move forward um uh decision was probably slightly made for me um but as far as youth ministry um i i really felt like working with adults was more a better fit for me you know um just the maturity and the the way that i could explain and articulate my faith experience and yeah um, convey that just seemed to be more on a adult level. Mm-hmm. And, and so I actually stayed at Trinity and pursued counseling psychology, uh, as a, um, a, you know, a master's degree program and, uh, true to form, um, ended up del- disillusioned with that as well. <laughs> yeah. And that was largely through being challenged, um, from a model to move away from an integrative approach of counseling and psychology and more to a, a biblical psychology or I'm sorry, a biblical counseling approach um, where you're really looking to a comprehensive understanding of issues in scripture and how, how God, um, how God works in our, our hearts and, and looking at our own sin condition and, um, sort of diagnosing and prescribing from that and really looking at that as not, you know, like counseling psychology, whether Christian or not, there's a lot of money to be made, or at least there was in Illinois at that time. I don't know that that is, you know, a, a national experience, but typically you see oh, yeah. counselors, you know, that make lots of, lots of money and charge, you know, $70, $80 an hour. And I really felt convicted that to work with people, and teaching them from God's word isn't really going to be a money-making experience. You know, it's, it's going to be, you know, maybe there's some level of financial commitment on their part just to show they're serious, but 
teaching Bible shouldn't come with a price tag. You know, it should it should be there as a ministry. And so, I before I completed that program, I stopped taking out loans, <laughs> yeah. and I moved forward and got married, and then had to work. And so I kind of stepped away from that for a while, and um, certainly have had many uh, singular instances, but not really as a program um, to you know, to be a biblical counselor. Um, although there, there are probably opportunities in my church that I could look at, um, to even be, um, accredited in that way. Um, because our, my church is the, is the, um, headquarters for the International Biblical Counseling Association. And oh, so cool. I'm, I'm in the right place. And my wife and I have both had a lot of opportunities to, to minister in that way, but it, it's certainly not a career. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, um, I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> I don't, a fair I don't answer. Know, I ultimately don't know what what the answers to that. There's yeah. certainly um, non-conventional opportunities out there, and you know, the the church that I grew up in was very conservative and, yeah. to some extent, legalistic. And I've I've had some of those ideas challenged. Um, mm. Through, through my time reading uh, Philip Yancey, amazing, what's amazing about grace, and yeah. and um, to a, a lesser but significant extent, um, Max Lucado's uh, Grip of Grace, and those were very helpful to me. You know, as I was finishing my Trinity days and moving into adulthood and family life. Yeah, I asked that question not to, you know, just kind of one. I was curious what how you were processing it, but I, I also. Um, like for me, I found I just knew that that the con- the conventional sort of preacher pastor thing didn't really mm-hmm. work, and I always thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I th- now I'm starting to realize I think maybe that was because teachers get all the accolades. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they get all the attention and the money in the church, and then um, and so you know now I'm starting to go. Oh well, I don't actually care what you think. I mean, I do. I care if people think believe the truth, but. I care a lot more if you're willing to have a conversation with me and and talk and kind of dig into that. And so maybe there's a different role in the in the church for me. But I was curious if you, if you found something like that um, through experience. Maybe that's something who knows. Got got'll gotta do his thing. Really, uh, what I've what I've discovered is my passion and any real giftedness lies in writing for me. Mm. Um, and so. I don't really have a way in my current church to utilize that with regularity. Yeah. Um, more of it is online through, you know, just social threads, whether it's Facebook or um, articles with commentary and um, difficult. Yeah, those are difficult venues because people aren't really looking to digest and understand. They're they're typically more ranting and and uh, angry or convinced they're right and um, sometimes armed with the truth without any kind of compassion or um, (laughs) concern for uh, the fact beyond the fact that they may be right. Like what they're saying may be right, but you know, it's like if you're, uh, if you're going to, uh, you know, ostracize all the opposition, then they're not really going to care what you have to say or how right you might be. In which case, your truth is really helping you, but not anybody else. And that's that's kind of the tone that I've tried to change in just the little um, little comments I've made here and there over the last you know five to ten years. It's just try to change the tone where you know without that truth and love, you know the, the sort of taking the, the biblical mentality of uh, what I'm saying may be true, but if I'm not doing it with any uh, sense of compassion, then then I'm not helping anybody, you know? In fact, I might even be pushing them further away from considering the Lord or, or biblical truth or just, you know, reason in general. Sometimes, you know, you can get some pretty crazy ideas up there. But. Yeah. So writing, writing's my thing. Oh yeah, you know what? I remember talking to you about that, and uh, that's good. I I've read some of your writing. You're you're good at it. Um, Thanks. We yeah, we need more Mike Elder writing. 
So like if you look at yourself now and you say, okay, you're you're 45, you guys, let's say 20 years from now, you're 65. Yeah. What, what would you want to see that God has done in you um, or possibly through you? Mm, that's good. Good question. Um, something I think about from time to time, um, or more often with, with fear and regret than, than joy and excitement, just because I look at the last 20 years and I think, man, I'm still struggling with some of these same things. But, um, well, so I mentioned writing one thing that I would really regret, um, maybe, um, in terms of at least my own, um, achievements. And I don't mean achievement. Like, uh, I hope I don't mean anyway, I, I try not to, to dwell on that aspect of, you know, the puffing, the puffing up of myself. But if, if there is true giftedness in, in writing, you know, for me, then I'd like to do something with that, whether it's a book or a series of articles, or, I mean, I, I mentioned, I make sporadic efforts here and there and, and to try to change the tone of conversation online with, you know, and, I've had, you know, some, some success with that, but I, I'm looking, you know, a little bit more substantial that I complete something that is hopefully useful and encouraging to people, whether it's nonfiction and just talking about some of the same things we're talking about now. Um, um, God's, you know, God's grace and fallen people and how that transforms us or it's transformative if we're if we're willing and what that willingness looks like um or whether it's uh you know a novel that uses some of the same spiritual principles without being overly preachy but just you know i, I think maybe it's true for for all of us but i i know from for myself that stories about forgiveness like mm-hmm. specific personal stories about forgiveness are probably the ones that touch me the most when someone you have every right to be angry and offended and just um, that they maybe even destroyed some aspect of your life. And yet you reach out to them with the love of, of God and, you know, say, I forgive you. You know, those stories are powerful and, to me. And um, so something like that, a novel in, in that regard, but writing would be uh up there was something I'd like to accomplish, but, um, but also looking back on just my kids, I have, uh, sort of the full range right now from little to to middle, you know, like elementary to to teenager and 20 years from now, uh, Lord willing, we'll all be out of the home. (laughs) And (laughs) I would, I'd like to, um, whether they're super successful in, in the uh, economic sense, you know, in 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 the career sense, uh, whether they are or aren't, I'd like to see them loving God, you know, and, um, that that I was instrumental in pushing them out on that, you know, leading them, but also pushing them out on their own onto that journey where they've accepted my discipline and they've benefited from it and accepted, you know, some of my the better habits that I've had, you know, and, and spiritual discipline and, and they've incorporated that into their own, you know, they've internalized it and made it personal for them. Yeah. So like talking about my story as a four-year-old and my parents, you know, that I pass on that, that, you know, that mantle of, um, we're the elder family and we love Jesus and we don't have it perfect. And we don't have it all figured out but we're not going to walk away from that, you know, whether it's from personal neglect or from the pressure of the world, but we're not going to, we're not going to relinquish that. We're going to pass it on to our families. Yeah. So I love that. Mike. So legacy, that legacy of faith and um, having an opportunity to write about all of that or, or something else in a, in a way that hopefully helps people. I think that's where I struggle is I get started on a project and I, I start to criticize it and then I wonder if it's really going to be, you know, relatable and beneficial. And then I stop. So yeah, I'd like to push forward. I know you've encouraged me in that area and I 
appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Mike, anything else you want to uh, leave us with? Um, well, I touched on this earlier and um, taking the flavor of Christ out into the world, out into the digital world where there's so many people commenting and spewing out uh, oftentimes hatred. Sometimes it's the Christians that are... Um, <laughs> there's this emphasis on being right, you know, that, well, I'm, I, I got the, I got the right, um, understanding the right perspective. And therefore, um, that enables, you know, that sort of gives me license to use it as a, as a billy club, you know, to beat down all the opposition. And I guess I just really been challenged, um, whether it's politics or just you know, maybe it's all politics anymore, but just, um, in all these social debates that we have from guns to abortion to, to political conservatism versus leftism and liberalism and all of this, that, that, um, it's been impressed upon me that, that it's not about being right. It's about the people. So, um, it's, I do need to be right. I do need to be careful what I say, you know, what I what I type out there, put out there in the world if I'm representing Christ. So I need to be right about that. But I also need to be right when it comes to dealing with people. That means if I'm not there to demonstrate Christ's love, then I really don't have anything to say. So, um, you know, whether it's talking about people as snowflakes or... You know, uh, it's the pajama term I heard, <laughs> pajama boys or whatever. These, all this name calling, yeah, it, it, you know, for you and your buddy or for me and my buddy, we might understand uh, what we're talking about. But when you put that out uh, in public, it just it just tells these people that they're marginalized, that they you don't have any concern for them. And yep. if that's the case, then what's the point in talking so there isn't a point you know so it really comes back to you know it's not just about being right it's about loving people amen that down first and then you know trying to talk about not just being right about an issue but being right with god yeah totally all right brother well thanks a lot i sure appreciate you sharing your story with us yeah i hope it um Hope it's helpful and encouragement, encouraging to the people to hear about my my victories and my struggles, and that some of those struggles are still there. <laughs> that, uh, like I said, we can still be hopeful. Christ will meet us where we're at. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.